this podcast is brought to you by Greenman, all natural mineral rich superfood. If you have never heard of Greenman, I consider it to be the most important essential supplement for dogs and people. It is a great source of plant-based minerals, which are much more bioavailable and effective than supplements made from chemicals or ground up rock. Minerals cannot be made in our body and have to come in the form of food. Unfortunately, intensive agriculture and food transportation have interrupted the natural nutrient cycle and soils and food are becoming increasingly depleted. Mineral deficiencies are one of the primary causes of disease. Let me give you another explanation. Most people understand that plants in the garden would not grow if some of the minerals were depleted or missing. For example, if phosphorus is deficient, strawberries and tomatoes would not blossom and fruit. Ironically, healthcare has not fully addressed the fact that food deficiencies are greatly predisposing factor when it comes to cell and organ dysfunction and disease. Malnourished and depleted plants in the garden are relatively easy to spot, but a mineral deficient body is harder to detect until it's too late. The key to supplementing minerals is to provide them in the most digestible and bioavailable form. This is why I chose Alga Calcaria for Greenman. The certified organic algae originates from Brazil and has evolved to absorb minerals from the ocean water and deposit them in the roots to anchor itself on the ocean floor. Alga Calcaria was first discovered by Brazilian farmers who fed it to horses, cows and other farm animals and witnessed an amazing transformation. The animals were stronger, grew better and rarely fell ill, which makes sense because there are 37,000 billion billion chemical reactions taking place in the body every second and they cannot proceed smoothly without necessary minerals. Since then, Alga calcarea has been used in treatment of osteoporosis in people and I made it part of Greenman in 2012, the essential plant-based mineral and amino acid supplement for dogs and people in 2021. If you would like to learn and read more what other people say, it is simple. All you need to do is to go to greenmin.com or for human supplement, greenmin.com hplus.com Hello my dog lovers and other folks. I'm Dr. Peter Tobias and you're listening to Not Just About Dogs. Have you ever been in a situation where your friend is making a wrong decision? You see that it is a wrong decision. You spend your time trying to convince them that they should actually change their mind or reconsider. And then you have to watch them uh, to go through problems that could have been prevented. Welcome to the world of veterinary medicine and healthcare in general. Most veterinary practitioners and human doctors actually are in those situations very frequently. Almost every day, I see people making mistakes with their dogs. And I know that I will not be able to talk to everyone and help them make important changes. Some people also do not know what they don't know. And for some reason, they are stubborn or unwilling to change. But writing is different. Uh, Writing and recording podcasts is different because one article, blog or podcast can make a big difference because it has the potential of reaching hundreds of thousands of people. 
So I'm here today to share with you the most common mistakes that people make when raising puppies. And I hope you'll enjoy this podcast and that you will also share it with those you care about and love because together we can make a difference. So the first mistake I would like to talk about is getting the wrong dog. Many people do not think about how much food a dog needs, for example, what type of a climate their coat and body can handle, what diseases the breed is predisposed to, how much they bark, how they connect with other people, or if they're predisposed to any undesirable behavioral traits. I feel that sometimes people actually mistake adopting a dog with buying a purse or some sort of other accessory. I've seen dog lovers going through a rude awakening when their dog is not exactly what they hope for, or when their food bill for a Great Dane is more than their own, or if the cheap kibble that suits their budget causes multitude of issues, starting with bone deformities, malnutrition, and skin, ear, or digestive tract disease. Another example are border collies, active dogs that are not a good match for couch potato human. Similarly, a chihuahua would not make a great avalanche rescue dog, and everyone understands that, but people, people sometimes uh, would like a cuddly dog and get, let's say, Shiba Inu, which is not exactly the most cuddly canine. With some exceptions, most dogs and even crosses come with reliable breed characteristics, which makes it easier to match your dog's traits to your needs and situation. You should also consider your climate, the breed's disease predisposition, and average lifespan to avoid heartbreaks coming way too early. Now, the mistake number two that people make is that they get a puppy from the wrong place. I would love to get Pomsky, my nephew recently proclaimed. I was confused because I didn't know what Pomsky was. And he says, well, that's a cross between a husky and a Pomeranian. <laughs> when I heard that, I thought, hmm, another designer breed. So because I, I've been through so many different periods and fats in the 30 years of uh, working as a veterinarian, when I came to Canada and when I got my license, Sharpays were very popular. A lot of skin disease, a lot of issues on that level, allergies, and those dogs really suffered a lot. Then it was Weimaraners, and then it was Black Labs and Golden Retrievers, and then it started going into the short-nosed dogs like Pugs and uh, Frenchies and Bulldogs. And then it went through Golden Doodles and Labradoodles and Bernadoodles and I guess I don't really know what's coming next. The only thing I know is that this kind of environment allows puppy mills and irresponsible breeding. I know that some people adopt a dog from a puppy mill or pet store because they want to rescue that particular dog. But every time they purchase a dog from these sources, they actually perpetuate the misery because they allow these questionable institutions to survive. Now, as I am recording this part, I know that I will almost certainly offend some people, but here's my point. Most dogs are lovely, no matter what kind of crosses they are, but crossing two breeds and thinking that it becomes a new breed is like saying that combining Mona Lisa by Da Vinci and Sunflowers by Van Gogh in one piece makes it a painting from Da Vingog or <laughs> something like that, right? 
So the only way that one should ever adopt a puppy mill dog is after a crackdown by the local authorities that closed the puppy mill. Puppy mill and pet store purchases not only contribute to the suffering of dogs, but also cause physical and emotional issues for many canine generations. Stress is known to affect the expression of DNA, and research has shown that it can alter the genetic information passed on to the offsprings. Puppy mill operators often misrepresent themselves as reputable breeders, so it is important to go and personally check the puppy's home if you're adopting a purebred dog or adopt for from a reputable or registered rescue organization that aligns with your beliefs and values. Mistake number three, know-it-all syndrome and using the word no. Just recently, I visited a friend who fostered two puppies. I saw her boyfriend spanking one of the puppies because it was chewing on his hand and I knew I had to be very gentle in suggesting that a better way would be to place a toy or bone in the puppy's mouth instead of slapping his bum or face. Despite my best efforts not to offend my friend, he barked at me back. I know how to raise dogs. My parents had dogs and we always spanked them and they turned out all right. Most of you probably know that dogs are not okay when they're physically scalded. Praising for positive behavior and preventing or at least ignoring negative behavior does wonders and it's a much better way to train our dogs. Also, the whole idea of needing to dominate and act like a boss is not exactly correct. Dogs like people like kind loving and confident leaders who make them feel safe. They may submit after being physically punished, but it definitely doesn't make them feel safe. Often they act out the aggression they receive by displaying aggression towards other dogs or people. The one who was bullied is much more likely to become a bully. Now, mistake number four, choosing the wrong veterinarian. And this is a sensitive topic. It is my experience is that most of my colleagues love their work and put their heart and soul into caring for their patients. At the same time, I must say that I have heard many dog lovers complaining about the communication style of uh, some veterinarians and overall their experience. And it seems that veterinary colleges may want to consider including courses in effective communication and perhaps psychology to prevent some of the misunderstandings and, and miscommunications that happen between vets and their clients. There's only a small number of veterinarians who are unable to separate their responsibility and duty from the idea of financial gains or losses in their practice. It requires a degree of personal maturity and integrity to talk a client out of a $1,000 procedure when there is a $50 solution that can solve the problem. And I think that this is another part that should be included in the veterinary school curriculums, teaching veterinarians that they always have to be there for their patients. And when they walk in the exam room, they must forget about money. There are several reasons why some veterinarians are unable to give up making profit in favor of a simple solution. One is that it is extremely expensive to run a veterinary practice without the sales of drugs, vaccines, surgery, and kibble. Hence, these are pushed on clients. Another reason is that veterinarians are educated by 
drug and pet food companies and their reps who frequently visit the clinics teach the staff how to sell. One time, I talked to a business banker who shared with me that veterinarians are one of the most debt burdened professionals, which most people would find surprising, and I can confirm this to be true. When I was in practice, I kept $10 to $20 out of every $100 that was built. And after paying taxes, I was making less than most government employees or even cleaners, despite being very busy. My choice not to sell kibble and to reduce the use of drugs by more than 80% in the practice was detrimental to my income. This is the irony of the world we live in. Things are not always as they appear. I solved my dilemma and burnout by going online and creating a natural supplement line for dogs and people. This allows me to support and train a team of amazing people who help me provide free support to thousands of dog lovers and their dogs, even if they're not our customers, even if they never will buy my products. This was my solution, but I'm also aware that not everyone has the option to do so. And this is one of the reasons why so many veterinarians are emotionally stressed and deeply in debt. It is very upsetting to hear that veterinarians have one of the highest suicide rates of any professionals. To say all this, before you choose a new vet, read online reviews and talk to local dog lovers. If you have seen repeated negative reviews about a veterinarian, from what I know locally, the reviews rarely lie. Mistake number five, vaccinating too early and too often. I've written a few articles on this topic and will do my best to give you a quick point-by-point summary. Puppies are usually protected until the age of 12 or 16 weeks by maternal antibodies from the milk. Administering vaccines before 12 weeks will often wipe out the maternal antibodies or immunity because they react and bind with the vaccine, the antigen. It is safe for you to check the antibody levels with a titer test at 12 weeks of your puppy's age and then decide if vaccination is needed based on the results. If the antibodies are present, socialize your dog to build natural immunity. If they're absent, vaccinate once and check the levels again in one month with a titer test. Based on my experiences, boosters are not necessary if you have positive antibody test if there is presence of antibodies. My dog Pax has never had distemper and parvo vaccine and has a fully protective titer against these two diseases. Now, for more information, you can just go to my website, peterdubias.com and search for vaccination or Google Dr. Dubias puppy vaccination. You'll get the whole protocol and the understanding. Now, there is another approach to keep your dog or puppy protected. If you are the breeder or if you have a pregnant bitch, uh, you measure the antibody levels. There is a company in California that measures the antibody titers for pregnant bitches, and they are able to estimate how long the antibodies will last in puppies based on what the levels of the pregnant mothers are. Mistake number six, feeding processed food. I regularly talk to other dog lovers in dog parks and on beaches and often hear them saying that they feed so-called natural kibble. It may be true that some pet foods are made from better ingredients than others, 
But kibble and other dehydrated foods in general put stress on your dog's kidneys because they draw water from the body and may cause a state of dehydration. The fat in processed food turns rancid as it sits in warehouses and stores for months or even years before it's sold. Kibble is also a primary cause of obesity because it is about 10 times more calorie dense than regular fresh food. This makes puppies overeat, grow too fast, and they frequently end up suffering from bone and joint deformities and obesity later on in life. If you're wondering about canned food and whether it's better, it is not because it's processed under very high temperatures, which turns it into dead food. And also the lining in the cans is contaminated with bisphenol A or BPA, which are teratogenic. It can affect fetal development. It is toxic for the body. And uh, I personally do not use any cans. If you're buying any preserved food, ideally buy it in jars or make the preserves at home in jars and glass jars, not in cans. I know no human doctors who would recommend you eat processed food instead of fresh food. And the only reason why this is still not the case in veterinary nutrition is that veterinary practices make a big chunk of their income from selling so-called prescription diets, which contain nothing prescription in them. When it comes to pricing of the food, some brands claim that they use real meat and ingredients. However, the price doesn't add up when we consider the price per pound of real meat. Dehydrated food is about 10 times lower in volume, which means that one pound of kibble requires about 10 pounds of real meat. Try to do the math yourself and you will see that the price of kibble is too low for them, for the manufacturers to use real ingredients. You will see very clearly that there is something wrong with the picture. But even if processed pet food was made of the best quality ingredients, no one likes to eat the same or similar dehydrated food every day. I don't think that dogs enjoy eating the same stuff every day. And maybe everyone who decides to feed kibble should try eating uncooked dehydrated camp food for a weekend and see what they think. After spending 30 plus years in veterinary practice, I am certain that feeding your dog a raw or cooked meat and vegetable diet is the best thing. Now, remember, in order to ensure that the diet is balanced, I do recommend adding essentials like vitamins, minerals, omega-3s, and probiotics. And that's what I do for my dog, for my patients, and I've seen amazing results. Many years back, when I adopted Sky, my first dog in 2001, I did not have any reliable supplement um, formulas. And uh, I started using my formulas when he was about 10, when I when I introduced them. And by that time, he was already you know, showing some signs of aging. On the other hand, my dog Pax that has received the essentials from very early age has grown much stronger and robust and he's like a brick house. He's really lovely and uh, and I, I really enjoy seeing him being in a very different uh, level of fitness and health. Uh, even though Sky was not bad in comparison with other dogs, but still I see huge difference and I'm convinced that giving any food without uh, supplements is actually not ideal. The main reason is that we have grown food on depleted soils and soils cannot really produce or manufacture minerals. They have to come back in compost and fertilizers. But 
adding micronutrients back in the soil, especially when it comes to organic farming, it is impossible. Most of the compost and the leftovers do not get back to the soil where the food came from. And this is a big problem. Now, mistake number seven, using chemical flea control. I generally do not recommend using chemical flea products, uh, the conventional ones, because of years of witnessing how toxic and dangerous they are. Sadly, the Environmental Protection Agency reports show that every drug-based flea product causes serious side effects, including death. I've personally seen a few incidents of epilepsy and tremors in dogs shortly after administering conventional flea control products. Now, don't let anyone convince you that chemical flea control is safe or the only solution for controlling fleas. I have been able to prevent and control fleas for more than six years using zero chemicals and no conventional flea products. If you would like to learn more about the flea hex and tick hex formulas, uh, you can just go to fleahex.com. It's F-L-E-A-H-E-X.com and tickhex.com. T-I-C-K-H-E-X.com. Now, mistake number eight, using heartworm and deworming drugs more than necessary. The ultimate objective here is to keep your puppy parasite-free and safe while also minimizing the use of drugs. Test your puppy's fecal sample for parasites as soon as you adopt them and again, repeat the test in one and two months. Deworming when you have negative test results for intestinal parasites is really unnecessary. Also, parasite tests are far more reliable now and it is wise to test before treating. Administering drugs to prevent um, parasites is like using a fire extinguisher before a fire happens. It does no good and it can cause damage. Now, when it comes to heartworm, the situation is a little too complex. And I recommend you going to my website and search the term heartworm to get uh, more information about how to prevent heartworm and how to reduce the use of heartworm preventing drugs. Now, mistakes number nine, exercising too little or too much and using the wrong restraint. Some people may be unaware that they exercise their dog too much. Maybe they're worried about their puppy being bored or weak. On the other side of the spectrum are folks who don't exercise their puppy very much because they're afraid or they fear injuries. As with most things in life, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Ideally, we should try to get as close to the natural lifestyles of dogs and wolves as possible. Ample play and socialization in a safe environment with dogs about the same size and age are ideal. If there is a discrepancy in size and age, injuries and fights can be very traumatic for puppies and can be the start of reactivity and fear aggression. But it doesn't mean that you should always protect your puppy from other dogs and you have to let them kind of learn the ropes. Sometimes the older dogs will scold your puppy, but they very rarely hurt them because they just growl or they just kind of nip them a little bit to know that they have gone too far. Ball throwing and too much sprinting leads to slips and slides and it results in injuries. In nature, dogs may chase an animal for a few minutes, but then they rest before they go at it again. Running at full speed back and forth for 30 minutes or longer 
is not a natural way for dogs to exercise. Be careful and don't fall in the trap of trying to please your dog and take chances. I have seen many dogs getting injured by uh, dog lovers using the chuck it tools and other tools that make dogs run excessively and repeatedly. They also become much more likely to chase bicycles and uh, runners and uh, any moving objects. And it may put them at risk in traffic or in the street. But my puppy likes it. I hear people saying, well, most dogs are fine with healthy modification of exercise as long as we are fine. Ideally, young puppies should mainly play or trot and go for walks and make sure that they do not overextend themselves. Walking and hiking are okay, but introduce these activities gradually and use common sense with young puppies. If you use a daycare while you're at work, stay with your dog for a few minutes the first few times to see how he or she interacts and whether they truly enjoy being there. I remember putting my dog Sky in daycare when he was a puppy once, and I will never forget the look on his face when I came back. It was simply too much for him, and he did not like it at all. He also ran away on a dog walker twice because the group was too rowdy, and he ended up at the nearest house where he was looked after until we found him. Dogs are like people. Some enjoy larger groups and others do better with fewer dogs. It is important to respect their comfort zone to keep them safe and at the same time socialize them so they don't become too shy and reclusive. Now, mistake number 10, leash walking. Don't expect your youngster to heal on a leash right away. Puppies need to develop and evolve mentally to be able to grasp this challenge. A dog's natural tendency is to pull, and if you use a collar, the probability of them sustaining a neck injury and thyroid gland trauma is pretty high. The neck is vital to your dog's health. It governs the function of many internal organs and conducts nerves and arteries to the body, head, and the brain. To keep your puppy safe, ideally use a front clip harness and shock absorbing leash. Even if you think your dog never pulls on the leash, I suggest you do not use collars, choke, prawn, or even shock collars to prevent serious problems. A shock absorbing leash and the right harness can be seen as a seatbelt. They dramatically decrease the chances of injuries. And if you have any questions, you can always go to my website at peterdubias.com and search for leashes and harnesses to learn more. Now I have one bonus point, number 11, and that is about boundaries and socialization. I saved this one for last because if you ensure clear and loving boundaries, living with a dog can be the most rewarding life experiences. If you don't, your dog may turn into a little hellion on wheels and you definitely don't want that. Obedience is usually a sensitive topic, but here are a few pointers that can make a big difference. Socialize your puppy with other dogs as soon as his or her titer test comes back, confirming antibodies against distemper and parvo. Many veterinarians still recommend not socializing puppies until the age of four months, which is too late for them to gain the right skills. Don't take your dog to a busy dog park, on the other hand, uh, until they are more mature to avoid getting traumatized by rowdy dogs. Teach your dog how to stop and stay. That's the most important command that you can teach them because it can be very useful, for example, when 
they're off leash and there is an unexpected vehicle coming from around the corner or there's a squirrel on the other side of the street. This is another reason why I do not throw a ball and increase the prey drive of my dog. I've seen many dogs being hit by car in the course of uh, three decades in veterinary practice. And I know that increasing prey drive increases the chances of them being hit by car when they decide to chase something. Never scold your dog if he or she does something wrong but comes to you. This may create fear and hesitation next time. Call and release them out again after giving them a treat as opposed to calling them and ending the fun. They will be less likely to fail a recall. You know, I've seen so many dogs hesitating to jump in the car or come back when the walk is over. But when you call your dog, give them a treat and then release them again, it will make a big difference. Don't let your dog beg or give him treats or food when you're eating at the table. As soon as you reward a dog for begging, the habit is hard to break and your dog will be very unhappy and confused because sometimes you may have visitors and you may decide not to give the food and treats and or your dog is begging from your friends and family and it's no fun. I see strict table manners as an act of kindness and love, not the opposite. Dogs also love to have clear boundaries and they get frustrated and happy if sometimes they get food and at other times they don't. If you call your dog and he or she doesn't come, use the command wait or stay and go and pick them up. Repeated calls or recalls are inefficient and I've seen many people calling their dogs over and over and over and they learn to ignore the recall. Personally, I'm not against using healthy dog treats to create a connection between the word come and the positive experience of getting a treat. Dogs love to be given clear guidance and boundaries, do what is good and healthy for them, and ideally do not adhere to strict feeding times or dog walking schedule to make them more adaptable. I've seen some people getting all upset that their dog didn't get fed exactly at 6 p.m. or 6.30 or 6.15. I mix and vary the time because I don't want my dog to be upset if I got busy or stuck in traffic and uh, the food is not exactly at a particular time. Now, real love is gentle, kind and supportive, but it comes along with boundaries that will ultimately make your dog safer and happier. Let's be our dog's best friends. Take care. 